Welcome and thank you for joining us today for our podcast, A View from Meadows Collier. I'm Joel Crouch, partner at the firm, and joining me today is the firm's managing partner, my good friend, Anthony Dedina. Welcome, Anthony, and thanks for being here today. I'm happy to be here, Joel. So, born and raised in Dallas? Um, well, as native as native gets nowadays by, by Dallas standards, but I actually moved here at the age of five from, from uh, New York. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't there's not too many indigenous Dedinos, you know, floating around the DFW <laughs> area. So, uh, yeah, my parents were born and raised in New York. I spent the first five years of my life there, but then moved here in uh, the early 80s and pretty much been here ever since. Where in New York? I was born in Mount Vernon, which, you know, geographically, yeah, it's here, Joel. So don't ask me where it is, but it's somewhere in the state. Um, just spent five years there, you know, a few memories here and there, but uh, moved to Plano, Texas in the early 80s and pretty much stayed in the area ever since. Uh, went to high school there? I did. One of 1,298 of uh, <laughs> the fine institution known as Plano Cedar High. The Wildcats. That was there. Were there just was there just one high school at that time? Well, just to clarify, not number one of twelve ninety eight. Oh, okay. Just one of twelve ninety eight. Oh, okay. Yeah. Let's be Was there only one high school in Plano at that time? There was two. There was two. It was uh, Plano Senior High and Plano East. Uh, so this was pre-Plano West days. Okay. Um, always wanted to be a lawyer. Well, I know you grew. You grew up with your father was a pharmacist, right? Correct. Is yep. that why he came to Texas? So he had two Dedino's pharmacies up in New York, sold both of them, and just decided he wanted a new life for his family. And so he moved as far away as he could think of at the time, which was, again, uh, Plano, Texas. And there are all sorts of stories surrounding that 32-hour straight drive that he made. Wow, sounds like he's running from something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. And the, you know... Back in the day, that was when, you know, families of our size had station wagons. And so all of us were piled in the station wagon, throwing safety to the wind as I lounged, you know, horizontal in the, in, in the rear of the vehicle. But uh, good times. So did you always want to be a lawyer? Oh, thank you. Uh, back on track. So no, not necessarily. I did have an early interest. And in fact, this was touched on a little bit on my video that's on my bio for the front website. But, you know, youngest of four kids. And, you know, like the true youngest sibling, I was taken advantage of, right? So we would play games and all sorts of rules would come into play that, you know, maybe they were instructions, maybe they, they weren't in the instructions. I felt like they were being made up because I was always losing. So that was kind of like an early interest of, you know, kind of knowing the rules of engagement, rules of society uh, as I grew older. But I think the, the, that, that spark was further flamed by my dad. He said, listen, you know, make sure that you develop a trade. And in his mind, the trade was one of three things, pharmacist, doctor, or attorney. <laughs> um, and, you know, as, as I took my first biology class in high school, it became abundantly clear that I should never be a doctor. Um, and pharmacy didn't really speak to me. And so that left me with uh, the practice of law. And so you went to where undergraduate? I went to SMU undergraduate, got my BBA, Cox Business School in Finance. By the way, most people not finance. Not finance. You know, finance. And then went on to SME Law School as well. And then you were, and was your intent to be a tax lawyer when you went to law school? I thought I wanted to do corporate transactions work. My brother in law was an MA attorney at a large law firm in, 
in Dallas. And it seemed to fit my finance background. But the moment I took a, my first tax class at SMU, it became abundantly clear I had a significant interest in tax. And then, of course, you know, I'm born on April 15th. So it, it was preordained that, you know, someone had to Someone had to take one for the team to become a tax journalist, so why not me? So you you graduate from SMU, and then where'd you go from there? So I went to a large, um, at that time, mostly regional uh, law firm. Uh, they had a large Dallas office. and You could say the name if you'd like to. It was Lockwood Dallas Hat. Thank you. <laughs> now known as Lockwood. Cut my teeth over there for about two and a half, three years doing tax planning work. And kind of had an opportunity to drop in my lap too. Well, let's let's talk about let's talk about Lock Liddell before we move on. So, what what were you doing over there? I was doing tax planning. Okay. Yeah. And as what, what does what does that encompass? You know, as an associate, it's primarily research. Um, my claim to fame from that experience is I never spoke with a client once in three years. Um, had my uh, got. Tremendous experience, um, certainly honing my research skills, my analytical, technical uh, tax skills, but um, it, it was fairly limited in, in exposure. So then you said you're there for how long? Uh, two and a half, three years. And then you left to where? Uh, I came here. I came home. Okay. Let's talk about that a little bit. How, how did that come about? So there's an urban myth out there as far as the, the circumstances under which this came about. Um, I'll, I'll keep it brief, but uh, David Comanero, who I understand recently uh, interviewed for one of your podcasts, uh, he and I had linked up at a tax conference in San Antonio. And so the story goes, I apparently uh, might have shared something with David that I don't recall sharing. Then again, he and I were both at the bar when this allegedly transpired. Uh, that uh, led him to believe that I would be interested in a, a potential change in, in not necessarily career, but a change in firms. And so about six months after that event, he called me out of the blue. Uh, we had lunch and he said, well, you know, would you be interested in an opportunity at Meadows Collier? And he said, uh, I inquired whether it would be planning or, or tax controversy because I was aware that the firm had, a, had an incredible reputation in tax litigation. And he said, planning. And I said, well, thank you. I'm not interested. And, but he said, no, you really need to learn more about it. And he started to quiz me. And honestly, I didn't know a whole lot of, about tax litigation or controversy work at that time. And so um, I followed the advice I often give my three boys, which is be curious, right? Be open. Uh, where you, an opportunity presents itself, don't, don't turn it down immediately. Um, you know, uh, vet that opportunity and, and, and discern it. So... I did so. We had a, a follow-up lunch with um, a handful of partners that eventually led to um, an all-day interview with all the partners of the firm, which I'm sure you'll recall a few stories from, from, from that day. And the rest is history. Yeah, I do have stories from that day. Because I think I went to lunch with you and David that day. You did indeed. Yes. And if I, my recollection is you made fun of David the entire lunch. It's hard not to. Right? He just takes it so well. That's what I remember. So was it, uh, so you came over here, came to Meadow Skyer, and started doing tax controversy work, right? That's right. That's right. Almost exclusively. And, and did, did you, how, how was that transition? 
it's initially challenging. Um, I had taken every tax course that SMU Law School offered except uh, practice and procedure. So I really didn't have my bearings. And that became very clear to me within the first couple months. So much so I decided to go back to SMU and take that class as a, a primer in training for being able to uh, be more successful in, in uh, this kind of new practice area that I was taking on. Um, fortunately, over the years, I've been able to kind of keep the, the tax planning skills sharp. The, you know, those knives and forks have not necessarily gone dull. Um, and But initially, when I first came to Meadows, it was almost exclusively controversy. So do you think um, your, your tax planning years were helpful in your tax um, litigation practice? Immensely. I didn't realize how technical a tax litigation practice is. Um, and so I was very thankful that I had had, you know, such uh, vigorous training early on in my career to, to be able to develop that, you know, those, those technical tax skills. So how, how has the practice of law changed since you started first practicing? Oh, well, like the life cycle of uh, most tax practitioners, right? There's this kind of natural evolution just by virtue of being an associate, senior associate, junior partner, and, and senior partner. And so, uh, you know, life is, my, my career has not necessarily changed as I've moved through those phases, but uh, kind of more generally, just how the practice of law has changed. I'm not sure it really has. Uh, at least not in the practice areas that, that we're in. Um, I often reflect about, you know, some of those early experience I had being first exposed to controversy. Um, some of those disputes that I was handling are, are kind of part and parcel, very similar to, to the types of disputes we handle today, as well as the way that we approach them. What about, what about your interactions with the IRS? Has that changed much since you first started practicing? Well, well not really first started practicing because you weren't, you weren't interacting with the IRS when you were at your previous job. That's right. You weren't even interacting with the client. <laughs> so you were, but but you started interacting with them. What year did you come here? It was 05. 05. So that's been 17, almost 18 years now. Mm -hmm. So has that changed in the 18 years that you have been here? How how we, how we how you deal with the IRS? I, I think in, in some ways it's stayed the same and in some ways it's changed, right? And that's a that's one of those typical lawyer answers, right? Oh, it depends. But, uh, you know, when I first came over, they, we were heavily involved in the tax shelter litigation of the late 90s and early 2000s, right? So, you know, that kind of um, aggressive, entrenched IRS was already present. We were, we were dealing with that on, on the front lines of interacting with the IRS, um, much like they are, you know, entrenched in their positions on certain structured transactions today. So in that regard, you know, IRS practice hasn't really changed. But um, for those more plain vanilla tax disputes, uh, I think it certainly has changed. Before there was, and I don't want to seem too jaded here, but more intellectual honesty uh, that I would uh, see and experience with the IRS. Whereas today, it's much more advocatory in nature. Uh, the IRS is much of an advocate as, as we are. And so, you know, it just makes for... Uh, a little bit more contentious um, experience at times. And certainly, um, I think I need to be very aware of what's going on and uh, 
always reading the tea leaves on where things could be moving. Okay. So what's your favorite thing and least favorite thing about practicing law? <laughs> um, favorite thing, client meetings. And, you know, all of our meeting rooms have a whiteboard and it's just, you know, I'm counting the seconds before I can jump up and, and use the whiteboard um, in connection with any client meeting. And it doesn't really matter what we're talking about. I'll find a reason to use it. Uh, least favorite it's, I'm going to ask you about that. Do you, do you think clients understand things better if you put them on the board? Well, yeah, just with the old adage, a picture um, is, uh, what, what, you would know it better than I would. You're good at that. The picture tells a thousand words. Picture tells a thousand words. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with you on that. I think that, that putting it up there it gives everybody something to point at. Yeah. And you don't have to be thinking back. They don't have to be thinking about what you said before. You put it up there and they can say, well, what about this? And what about that? I didn't use it as often in my kind of early years of, uh, of, of partnership, it really came as a result of going to SMU and being an adjunct professor and necessarily using the whiteboard in connection with class instruction that really, I saw the benefit of it, right? You know, all of a sudden, the, the, not only was it a necessity as part of, the, of teaching the curriculum, but you could see you, you, would, you would describe a concept and then it, it wasn't resonating with the students the moment you used an example of a whiteboard, you know, they, they got it. And so from that point forward, I thought, well, this is exactly how every client meeting should go. And initially, as we're discussing the issues, the exposures, um, you know, just using the whiteboard and, and bringing that illustration um, of, of what you're talking about to life. So least favorite thing about practicing law? Least favorite thing about practicing law. It's going to sound a little bit like a cop-out, but I'll tell you that um, there's very little I don't like about practicing law. So much so that this past Thanksgiving, when we were all going around the table at our family saying, what are we thankful for? Um, I said, I'm thankful for my career because I've known plenty of people who were unhappy in their job and it pretty much made them miserable human beings. And, you know, not only do I have the opportunity to do something that I enjoy doing, but it also allows me uh, the ability to provide for my family at the same time. And so those, I always try to keep that perspective. Um, now, I'm not always successful, right? Um, I guess keeping my office clean is, is, that, is, is the, the, the uh, least the, favorite uh, thing. My least favorite thing, which is why I don't do it. <laughs> So, okay, let me ask you the same question along a different lines. Least favorite and least favorite thing about being managing partner? That's a very good question. Because um, you can't think of a favorite thing? <laughs> um, I feel like um, you, as managing partner, um, were a really good figurehead for the firm, right? Um, and I feel like that, that can be a challenge. Uh, I, I like to uh, have more of a role of, of uh, I would say, navigator at times and not necessarily being the focal point. Um, and so that that's certainly a, a challenge and I think something that you excelled well at. Um, the thing I like most about it is leading the partner meetings so that I can control <laughs> and limit the timing of them. <laughs> And what's your least? What is there a least favorite? Well, yeah, partner I'm, meetings when you lose control. 
That's exactly right. We had one of those recently. <laughs> so, uh, so what advice would you give to a young lawyer starting? First and foremost, go attend a Brian Gardner seminar on legal writing, because so much of what we do is writing, whether it be an internal email, an email to a client, a letter to the IRS, a brief, a legal memorandum. I mean, so much of what we do is, is communicating uh, our thoughts and analyses in various different ways. And that legal writing seminar, which I've taken three or four times over the past 20 years, has been infinitely helpful in improving my communication skills, specifically my written communication skills. So first and foremost, highly recommend that. And no, I'm not going to receive any type of referral fee or royalty from Brian Gardner for saying that. Um, the additional piece of advice I would offer is start early on in developing a daily habit of staying on top of your practice area. Um, it takes time, probably get 15, 20 minutes every day, but I'll read tax news from being a daily tax report, RA checkpoint, um, tax notes, tax analysts, various different publications that, you know, I always feel like I'm, even though I may not be practicing in all the various different areas I'm reading about, I feel like I'm in touch with what's going on. And that's so much, um, it's so beneficial than waiting till you have reason to dive into an area. And then, you know, you're diving into the deep end and don't really have your bearings because you haven't been keeping up with your tax news over the past you know, few months or even instances, few years. And so getting into that daily practice of just staying abreast of what's going on in the world of tax uh, will make you an infinitely better practitioner. And it'll be less stressful too. So you've been a uh, very successful lawyer. I think by any measure has been very successful. How much of your success can be attributed to luck and how much can be attributed to skill and hard work? Well, we have a saying around here, heard me say it before. I don't think I stole it from you, but uh, it's amazing. Um, the harder I work, the luckier I get, right? So I think there's a lot of truth to that statement um, that where you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing, that you'll be positioned to seize those opportunities of good fortune when they arise. Okay. What do you, what do you attribute your success to? Anything in particular? could pause for a minute there because you know there's always a lot of variables that come into play but the the primary vehicle honestly is going to be my wife Paul um, we have by today's standards was considered to be a large family right? I've got three boys and we were when we had two boys we were both working full-time and Paula made the decision to uh, become a state-owned mom and then we went on to have uh, our third child, and she's stayed home um, ever since that time. And there's so much that that goes into running a household. And as much as I like to contribute as much as I can, it's a small fraction of what she does day in and day out. Uh, and there's no question, no doubt in my mind, that um, my success is the majority of my success is attributable to her sacrifice. Well, that's fantastic. Anthony, thanks again for joining me here today. This concludes my conversation with Anthony Dedino. We hope you'll join us for more firm podcasts. A new podcast will air each Monday. Be sure to, to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also receive the latest episode in your inbox by subscribing at podcast.meadowscollier.com. The firm also offers free monthly webinars on the first Tuesday of each month and blogs that you can subscribe to from the firm's website. 
Learn more about Meadows Collier at meadowscollier.com. Thank you for listening.